If you're an entrepreneur, you know what it means to take personal and financial risks, create jobs that support your community, and devote most of your time to your business. But do you know how to plan for a successful exit from your business? Do you know who should be involved in creating your succession or transition plan and the steps along the way? Welcome to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. The podcast theme is inspired by critically acclaimed business author, Bo Burlingham, author of Finish Big, how great entrepreneurs exit their companies on top. In this podcast, you'll hear success stories of exit plans done right and pick up practical tips based on years of legacy business advisors' expertise and knowledge about the largest and most important financial transaction of your life. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Finish Big, the podcast with your host, Mark Dorman. Hi, Mark. How are you today? Good afternoon, Wendy. Thank you for uh, having us back on the show. I am very, very excited. I've got a, uh, a decade-long friend of mine by the name of Dr. Michael Klein. Uh, Michael is a trained psychologist and the author of one of the most unique business books that I have ever read. And I encourage you, our listeners, to read it as well, called Trapped in the family business. Good afternoon, Michael. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, we appreciate your time here today. So uh, let's get right to it, Michael. Uh, you and I met probably 14 years ago. Uh, you were doing some uh, business planning, business psychology work for the Mass Mutual Financial Group. Uh, and and it, it, it's during that time that, that you started doing a little bit of research or soul searching about this whole concept of being trapped in one's own family business. And I, I guess let's just start right there. What, what does it mean in your definition to be trapped in the family business? It's a great question. I really think of being trapped as something that can only be defined by a person who is working in the business. It's not something that could be decided by parents, cousins, advisors. It really is internal to that person. And I really define it as a, a feeling of not having options, of being tied down to this is your career, this is your future, this is where you were not only meant to be, but this is where you will be for the remainder of your career. Mm, being, that's very strong words, where you will be and. Having read through your book and uh, throughout our numbers, uh, numerous conversations over the years, it, it trapped is uh, being trapped in one's uh, family business uh, is not distinct to the chairman founder. It could be the chairman founder. It could be the child. It could be the spouse. Could be a a relative. Any of the family dynamics where there is like a sense of internal pressure. Uh, and pent-up anxiety of one's role and whether or not they're actually in control of their professional life as it pertains to their involvement in their family business. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think it's a sense of that you don't have a, an internal uh, locus of control, that it's somehow been determined for you because of circumstance, because of other family members, whatever the situation is, or whatever the cause is. But that's absolutely right. It's uh, It could be anybody. And it's about not feeling a sense of control over, over one's destiny. Mm -hmm. So when you started uh, beginning writing back in 2012, uh, Trapped in the Family Business, share with us 
what was the genesis of the idea? Had you come off of a few different engagements where you kept seeing this same uh, repetition of fact patterns in family businesses, or did you feel you stumbled on something unique? Yeah, it was really quite accidental. I, Because of my background in psychology and the time that I spent as a business consultant and working internally at a few different companies, including Mass Mutual, I had been encouraged to look into consulting to family businesses. And the idea never appealed to me. I, I mostly projected my own concept of what it would mean to work with my family, frankly, and, and I couldn't envision it. I couldn't imagine it. And so it really didn't hold out much of an appeal uh, to me. Uh, once I hung up my own shingle and went out on my own, I had a financial consultant refer a client of his to me who was ready to leave the family business after years of working with not only his parents, but with his brother. And his physician told him, look, if you want to see uh, your kids live to 10, you really need to change your professional situation. There was just too much tension, too much mm -hmm. conflict between him and his brother and had been going on for years. And so uh, this person reached out to me, we spoke, and I learned a lot about how he had grown up in the business, how the business had been gifted essentially to him and his brother, their original agreement to work together, what that looked like, and how they had really over time deviated from what that original agreement was. And they were honestly both miserable. And I became really fascinated with, well, how does this come about? How do, how do two people who are given this amazing opportunity, not, not only to run a successful business and grow it, which they did, but also to work together with family members. You get to see a, a whole other side of, of people you're related to. How does something like that, that can be so wonderful, go so wrong? And so that really inspired me to, to start looking into how common it is. You know, I was lucky that there was a university-based family business center not too far from where I'm based in Western Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Reached out to the executive director there and I asked him a very simple question of how common do you think this is, this feeling of not having options of being trapped in a family business? And his answer to me, as I write about in the book, was, well, hard to say. He had worked in family businesses for, or with family businesses for over 20 years. But he said, I have to say, on average, the number of people that I've met in family businesses who feel trapped at some point probably between 99 and 100%. Oh my so, so that really inspired me to, to dig a little further into this and start interviewing folks and meeting with people who were not only working in family businesses, but who had left family businesses, academicians who had studied it, and consultants who worked with uh, family businesses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I mean, just, just going back to your example of the two brothers, you mentioned that both of them were miserable, if, I'm, if I have that correctly, but yet... Someone was probably in an authoritative position, and one of the brothers, I imagine, was in more of a role-playing position yet, but in either case, they were both unhappy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely that's absolutely right. And in that situation, it came down to a fundamental lack of communication over time. The brother who did, in fact, uh, have more authority, who was the CEO, wanted to keep going. They had been successful growing the business after their parents gifted it to him and his brother. And so he wanted to keep growing the business, whereas the younger brother, who uh, did not have a controlling, controlling stake in the company, wanted to exit. Being a business owner was really not his dream job. And he knew that going in. There had been discussions about that going in. They had a three, three to five year plan to build the business and then sell it. 
but uh, they deviated from that plan and didn't talk about it. And so in that situation, what happened was over months of, and frankly, years of them continuing to work alongside each other with very different goals, you can imagine how the conflict and the tension just grew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that it, it, suffice to say, I can see it just being a sibling myself uh, and a son and a father of four, the dynamics, the interpersonal family dynamics that could lead to this feeling of somewhat being treated unjustly in someone's mind or someone's gotten the upper hand on on you uh, as another example. But as it pertains to business, how does it happen, do you feel, that this sense of being trapped is created? It certainly I imagine, like I've said to my clients in my in our exit planning practice, that I I really can't fix or address thirty years of dysfunction. Right? Uh, I can't make you like your sister all of a sudden because it's time for your mom and dad to exit their business. Right? So you have these these trapped people, and they're looking for us to wave our magic wand. Uh, but but how does it happen? Three things. What does it look like? And then what can be done about it? So let's take the first one through. Uh, first, first question, how, how does it happen? I mean, is it something that if I invite you into my business, it's it's already the preordained birth order that just plays out in a professional setting? I've certainly seen that happen, although I have to tell you what comes to mind is a a friend of mine who's a second generation, not quite a family business owner yet. She has a stake in the family business, but her mother still has the controlling stake. And she had her first child a few years ago. And within hours of the birth of the child, her mother said, oh, we've got our third generation in the family business. So yeah, so it, it it can happen that early. And it was laughed about and it was fun to think about. But I think what it what it does is it underlines this idea of the importance of legacy to business owners and to founders and the importance of trying to keep the business in the family and the business and the family name attached to the business. So that's an example, I think. And, and again, it, it kind of underlines how, how deep this can go and how personal it can be. So on one level, you can look at how the business owner or the founder or the current generation exerts very subtle, and I would argue unconscious pressure on the next generation Mm -hmm. to join. And often it's not spoken about, it's just something that's felt. And so that's something that I see all the time. But as I write about in the book, and what was fascinating for me to discover in the course of researching it is, there are all sorts of reasons, and there's not ever, there doesn't seem to be at least ever just one reason that somebody ends up feeling trapped or or being trapped in in the business. There are financial handcuffs. There are emotional handcuffs, guilt, obligation, a desire to protect family members, a feeling of I'm the only one that can make sure this business survives. Uh, I'm the only one that can protect my parents or other family members. And so all sorts of emotional emotional, uh, causes can go into someone not only joining the business, but staying in the business well past a point where they realize they're just not satisfied and it's just not checking off all their boxes in, in the professional development uh, arena for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I just find this whole topic fascinating. And once again, thank you for joining us. Our guest 
Today is Dr. Michael Klein, author of Trapped in the Family Business. Dr. Klein, you you just shed light on there that it's almost presumed that you're going to come into the business. But as I was listening to you, I had added a, a bit of an appendage to that under the terms that I want you to come into my business, right? In other words, this subtle, unconscious, but yet extremely heavy-handed influence that maybe a father or a mother has that, hey, I've got a spot for you, but it looks exactly like this and don't deviate. I've seen that play out in our uh, in our client base. And I think, though, that conversely, we oftentimes think about uh, while we oftentimes think about children's roles within a family business, I also know a lot of founders who feel trapped that, you know, there's a tremendous burden financially and uh, emotionally. They are the patriarch or the matriarch of their family. And they would just as soon uh, maybe have a lesser role within the business, but there's no one within the family to, be able to step up and manage and lead the way that they would. So there's that huge conundrum. Can you speak to that, please? Yeah, I think it's a very common and an unfortunate catch-22 that as an owner or founder or current gen, I want the business to continue. But as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, I have very specific ideas about exactly how this business should move forward. And so there is intense pressure uh, to the next uh, to the next owner, to the next gen on how they need to run the business. Now, I'll contrast that with a really good friend of mine who's a ninth generation family business owner. And I would argue a big part of the reason why their business has succeeded for multiple generations at this point is that every generation knows it's their job to not only prepare the next gen, but to introduce the organization to them at a young age and to instill in them the idea that you are going to make this business in a way that suits the current environment that you are growing up in. So the idea of this business in order to survive has to bend and stretch based on the times that are changing. And so it becomes your task to then steward the business for future generations. And so there's a real acknowledgement by uh, by current gens to let go at some point. And by the ninth generation, they've had a fair amount of practice in how to do that. Contrast that with second and third generation family businesses that don't really have a whole lot of history in the family around succession planning and around letting go. But by the ninth generation, they've, they've pretty much figured it out. And so uh, for her, one of her primary goals became once she learned the business, felt comfortable in the business, and her father was ready to hand over the reins, she knew that it was her job to define a vision for where the business was going to go and to put her own stamp on the business. Mm-hmm. For that particular point in time or or length of time that she was in that chair, we all know the adage uh, of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Why do you think that is from, from all the research that you've done is, is it is it a uh, are entrepreneurs today ruining their grandchildren such that they're unwilling to make the sacrifices that the uh, the founders and uh, visionaries of these businesses uh, once had? 
that they take it for granted, perhaps? From what I've seen and what I've read, a successful family business often means that the next generation is growing up in an environment of family wealth that a founder didn't necessarily grow up in. And so that sense of, at times, uh, privilege, entitlement, you know, if it's not really instilled in the next gen from a really young age about what they need to do with the business and with their with their workday, how hard they need to work, the time that they need to put in. Sure, there are rewards, but it's not it's not built in. It's not baked into the formula. You have to work really hard for it. And so entrepreneurs and business founders, I, I think, often have a very different work ethic than that that has been instilled in their children, you know. And you hear stories of people who started off dirt poor and that's what inspired them to work so hard, to put in the hours, to put in weekends, to not take vacations in order to build the business. And by second and sometimes by third gen, it's they're used to it, they've grown up with it, and that work ethic has not necessarily been instilled in them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think that, uh, you know, stepping outside the the realm of uh, a true family business by definition and just in succession planning in general, the generational gaps that exist between the boomers that you know, started their business and were willing to sacrifice and work much, much longer hours than uh, you know, maybe some of the younger generations today look at uh, look at a guy my age and say, "Why would I want to work that hard when uh, you know I, I don't necessarily I'm really not into that. That's not important to me." And and we've seen that as well, both within a family business and within just a privately held business in general. But so if if there's this 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 dynamic that exists of parties being trapped within their own family business. How in the world do you tackle that as a as a psychologist working in this space? And is there there's obviously coaching and consulting and uh, a lot of a lot of baggage that needs to be unpacked, so to speak? Can you can you address that for us? Thanks for asking. It, it it's a complicated question because uh, these situations can be very very similar. Every family business is going to have its uh, unique qualities to it. And so it's, uh, it, it can be really important at the outset to understand, well, are, who's the client? Are we working with an individual who's trying to sort through what they want to do with their professional life, Want to wanting support, coaching on how to communicate with other family members about their potential exit or their dissatisfaction? Or is it more a family systems issue when there's more than one person who understands that, yes, dynamics are involved here. In order for this business to succeed and thrive and exist past the current generation, we need multiple family members involved in some kind of intervention where communication is addressed, work processes are addressed, succession planning is addressed. So first and foremost, for me, it's about defining who who is involved and and who wants to be involved. And from there, you can determine what steps need, need to be taken. I will say, Almost every client that I work with these days, there is some use of assessment tools. And when I say assessment tools, they can be self-assessment tools. They can be something called 360 tools, also known as multi-raters. But it's a way of assessing not only how somebody is wired, what their personality is like, and what are they likely to succeed at, but what are their career interests? What are their interests outside of work? What are their values? What are their motivators? One of the most satisfying things that 
I do as a family business coach and consultant is sit down with a current gen and a next gen and show them how similar they are from a personality perspective or an emotional intelligence perspective, how they're wired similarly or how they have similar skills. And again, assessment tools are how I gather this data and also showing them ways in which they're different and ways in which as the business continues to the next generation, the next leader will have challenges, but will also have strengths. And so what assessment tools do is provide a little bit of distance and a, a way to talk about these soft skills and attributes that most people have a really hard time talking about. So I'm a huge fan of, of the use of assessment tools in really almost any intervention uh, at this stage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and uh, I think it's also important during these sessions that you are letting either generation know that it's perfectly normal for you to be different than the individual on the other side of the table. And, and uh, you know, the, it takes a village to, to run this business and certain strengths that will be called upon at certain points of time, maybe in fact yours and perhaps maybe your brothers, your sisters, your fathers, correct? That's, that's exactly right. And really an ideal uh, setup, just like in any organization, an ideal team is a group of people that are not identical, whose skills, whose traits, whose interests complement each other. Because if you've got a room full of people with the same motivators and the same skills, well, do you really need multiple versions of that person? No, it's, it's, it's healthy for the business. It's healthy for a team. Uh, it's healthy for growth to have people with different approaches, different strategies, different ways of, of looking at the world. The challenge becomes being able to tolerate those differences, talk about those differences and not, not bury them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it, it might sound like a silly question, but does, does money magnify these issues? Does, does the size of the business, the amount of value, the, the value of one's business, the free cash flow, does it, does it help to compound the interpersonal dynamics in any way? I think it can. I'll come back to a lot of it depends on, I think, what yeah, that lust of, for control, right? The lust for control. And also, you know, what kind of environment you grew up in. If you grew up in, you know, let's say a second or third generation family business that's worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, giving that up, whether by not working in the business or by, potentially forfeiting inheritance has very different implications than uh, exiting a business that generates six to $8 million a year. So I think it does compound, compound these issues and these questions and, mm -hmm. and these conflicts for sure. Mm -hmm. Now I have a good friend of mine, Chris Goble, uh, whose family had a uh, privately held charter bus company. He had an interesting family dynamic. I always joke his was easy. He only had six brothers working with him. And it was very old school. His father essentially said, okay, son number one, you were here first, so you own more. And son number three or four or five or seven owns the least. And it was a bit of a head scratcher, uh, but it was everything, you know, to hear Chris, everything they could do to try to push the, the company forward while all still getting along and not stepping on one another's shoes. So, the reason I ask this, it clearly defined roles and responsibilities, organizational charts, right seats, you know, right people on the right seats on the bus, et cetera. How can any or, or how can some of these feelings of being trapped 
be prevented or, or can they be prevented? I think they absolutely can be prevented. And in the second edition of the book that I published in 2018, I include a chapter on what parents can do to make sure that they don't inadvertently trap their children in the business. And, and a big part of that is making sure that children know they have options. Children know that you have options, that you don't need them to necessarily come into the business, but it might be a great opportunity if there's a fit. But again, the, the most important thing is, is having experiences outside of the family business. And so I think it's generally accepted in family business consulting circles, for the most part, that current gens really need to present the family business opportunity as just that. Here's an opportunity, but in order for you to have access to that opportunity, you need to go elsewhere first. You need to prove to yourself, frankly, uh, and this can be just a, a parenting skill and responsibility, prove to yourself that you can survive if this business were to close tomorrow or if I were, decide, if I were to decide to sell it. That's really important, I think, if you do decide to go into a family business to know that you can stand on your own two feet, that you'll live if something were to happen, you'll survive, you're a capable human being, you're not simply there just because you are the descendant of the current generation. So I think that's absolutely important. Getting that work experience outside the family business, I think is key. It can't also be just about biding your time. It can't be, yeah, okay, I, three years and time to join the business. I think I would add to that, although it's your book, but <laughs> if you'll allow me, it, it certainly, to your point, you're stressing, hey, you, you need to prove to yourself that you can do this. Uh, but you're also proving to others that you're fully capable of working elsewhere and you're not just, you know, the son of the founder or the daughter of the founder or great grandson or what have you. Our guest today is Michael Klein, Dr. Michael Klein, author of Trapped in the Family Business. Dr. Klein, tell us about the services that you provide for the family business market in, in, in the U.S. today, please. I appreciate the question, Mark. A big part of my work, and frankly, the part of it that's the most satisfying to me that I find there's still the, the greatest need for is for family members to have a, a consultant, a coach, an advisor who works for them. And so while there have been family business owners that have tried to bring me in to work with their children or work with other family members, for me, one of the most important things is that People feel like they have their own person to talk to, somebody who's not affiliated with the family business, somebody who they can be brutally honest with and really explore different career paths, explore family history, explore uh, business history. And so a big part of my work is, is doing one-on-one -on -one exploratory consulting with those folks who aren't sure the family business is what they want to join or where they want to spend the rest of their career. And that work looks like coaching. It includes assessment work to a large extent. And sometimes at some point it can involve bringing in other family members, but that's the primary focus of my work these days. And really writing this book and speaking about this book has really developed that part of my practice. And I'm, I'm thrilled that it's uh, continued to grow over the past decade or so. That's excellent. I want to come back to how people reach you, but before I do, I want to just explore one more uh, topic, and this is a bit self-serving. I'm a huge fan of outside advisory boards uh, for both family and all privately held business. I think that uh, allows that independent voice of individuals who have been there, done that, provides a lot of wisdom, provides a lot of experience, obviously, but I think it provides 
cover for those that feel trapped when issues can get a little bit uncomfortable in that there is that third party, this advisory board that can say, Hey, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not just me that feels this way, but the board feels this way. Would you agree that that's a healthy dynamic to, to introduce or just by adding more voices at the table, could it possibly complicate things? I uh, am also biased in favor of outside advisors. And I think boards are an extension of that. And they're really key. I mean, boards can do so much to keep businesses focused and moving forward. It's, you know, things as basic as if a family member is coming to the business, a board can make sure that there is a job description written, that there's a process for that person to not only develop, but be evaluated. And so that kind of accountability and oversight I think is so needed when you're talking about privately held businesses, because as I've seen time and time again, you have a very successful entrepreneur founder who uh, is not really a career manager or a career leader. And because they've built a successful business, often they think, well, they can figure it all out. But having that outside voice, that outside perspective, in some ways that accountability, even if they don't want it, I think the more, let's say, mature or successful owners, I think get that they really need those voices. They need people to help keep them honest, keep them in check, and sometimes make them do things or at least point them in a direction of doing things that wouldn't come naturally, that they wouldn't necessarily want to do, but are in the best interest not only of the business, but of the family. Correct. Yeah, that's so powerful. I, I, uh, I'm on bended, ear, bended knee on every word. I mean, I just I see this this dynamic play out day in and day out of my travels in the Northeast Ohio market. And uh, so I, I really, really appreciate, Michael, the ability to reconnect with you. Uh, our guest today has been Dr. Michael Klein. He is the author of Trapped in the Family Business. Uh, Dr. Klein, where can our listeners reach you? Easiest way to get in touch with me is to go to my website, which is drmichaelkline.com, spelled D-R-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-K-L-E-I-N, or to type in trappedinthefamilybusiness.com, and that will redirect you to my website. Terrific, terrific. This is Mark Dorman, uh, the moderator of the Finish Big podcast. Our guest today has been Dr. Michael Klein, author of Trapped in the Family Business. Dr. Klein, if, uh, if you will, I'd love to have you back and explore uh, some interesting stories. I'm sure you've got some uh, some some good good stories in your travels. Maybe we could exchange a few stories and could share with you some of the dynamics that we see in our practice. But I'd like to thank you for listening today to the Finish Big Podcast. My name is Mark Dorman. I can be reached at area code 330-416-9271 or at mdorman, D-O-R-M-A-N, at D-L-A, that's David Larry Apple teamcom or at www.legacybusinessadvisors.com. Until our next episode, thank you again, and here's to Finishing Big. We hope you enjoyed listening to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes are available. Learn more at LegacyBusinessAdvisors.com or call 330-350-5410. Please be aware the information in these podcasts represent the views and opinions of our guests and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of legacy business advisors. 
The content is for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax or legal advice. Always seek the advice of your legal or tax professional with any questions regarding your specific situation.